Hello and welcome to this ACC Consulting Podcast. My name is Malcolm McDonald and I am an agricultural consultant based far out of our Inverness office. This podcast is part of a Knowledge Transfer and Innovation Fund project called Feeding for Fertility in the Suckler Herd. This project was run by Lorna McPherson and Karen Stewart of uh, ACC's livestock team. And it looked at the fertility of the suckler herds in a number of farms. This was through a combination of condition scoring, pre and post calving, and metabolic profiling, pre and post calving as well. And this was then correlated to scanning the results to see what effect it had on fertility. I am joined on the line by one of the farmers who is involved in the project, Andrew Houston from Glen Killery Farm. Uh, I'm also joined by Graham Richardson, who is a director at Thrums Veterinary Practice in Kerry Muir and who is also involved in the project. Okay, Andrew, do you want to kick us off by just telling us a bit about Glen Killery Farm, what stock you run there, and uh, and a bit of background to the farm and your systems? Great. Well, um, thank you for that, Malcolm. Um, I'm Andrew Houston. I farm at Glen Killery up in Glen Shee. Um, we are situated 13 miles north of the town of Blair Gowrie. Um, we're a hill farm. It's 2,500 acres. Um, a farm in partnership with my parents. Um, we've one full-time employee on the farm and both my dad and myself are full-time too. Uh, we also farm another block of ground further north on a contract farming basis. Um, it's a 10,000 acre grouse moor where we contract farm some sheep up there. Uh, the farm itself is predominantly heather hill. We have a, a good range in by ground. We grow all our own forage. And we're quite lucky from that point of view that we have got a, a good scope on the farm for producing enough forage to support the amount of hill ground we've got. Okay. The farm is owned, however, we do rent some seasonal grazing further south round Blair Gowrie where we put some ewes and lambs for the summer. On the farm, uh, we've approximately 160 suckler cows, although there's slightly more this year, uh, down to quite a good scanning, which we'll discuss later on. Uh, we have about 1,100 breeding ewes at home and another 400 uh, on the contracted unit. We also have a herd of 50 red deer. That's a, a new addition to the farm. We just uh, put them on a couple of years ago. This, the suckler herd itself um, used to be a mixture of spring and autumn calving cows, and we've moved all to, to spring calving. We start calving in the middle of March, which at the moment suits us fine. We get a good bit of the calving out of the way before we start lambing ewes. We keep all our own replacements on the farm. We're a totally closed herd apart from buying in a, a few bulls when we need them. We sell our calves um, the earliest they'll go is straight off their mothers in the autumn uh, at weaning time. And the remainder are kept through the winter. We'll sell another batch of them prior to calving in late February and what we're left with we'll take through and graze their second summer before selling on. Um, we do however finish a few at home. My wife and I have recently started a, a business on the farm direct marketing meat so we now market our own venison beef and lamb direct to the consumer. So at the moment we are finishing one or two animals a month to support that. The sheep flock at Glencalry is a mixture of Scottish blackface and Cheviot ewes, which are bred both pure and some go back to the Aberfield tup, 
which we keep daughters of for a crossbred ewe flock. These then go on to, to mate with terminal sires. At the moment, we're using um, a mixture of both Inovis and Easy Ram Genetics. Um, our lambs are all finished and they're all marketed through Scott Beef and on to Marks and Spencers and Aldi. Um, all our replacements, again, are kept um, in-house and with only tops purchased when we need them. Graham, do you want to give us a kind of a rough overview of your kind of um, main areas of work and what you what you're involved with on the vet side? Yeah, sure, Malcolm. Um, my name's Graham Richardson. I'm a, a director at Thrums Veterinary Group, based in Kerry Muir and Blair Gowrie. Um, most of the the work that I do involves suckler cows and sheep, and over the years I've uh, developed an interest in the health and productivity in, in these enterprises and um yeah, we quite enjoy it. We're we're delighted to uh, be doing the work at Glen Kilry uh, and other places round about. Okay, Andrew. So um back to the kinda the focus on the, the suckler herd. Um you were off demand spring calving, um, but you've moved to only spring calving now. Was that three years ago you moved to that? What were the kind of reasons for that that change change in policy? Yeah, Malcolm, well I came home back to farm um, oh, five or six years ago now, and the herd at that point was was roughly a hundred spring calving cows, and uh, the remainder calved in autumn. And um, like most farmers' sons, when they come home, I guess they give their fathers a bit steer up and uh, try and change a few things. And um, I kind of felt that we were we were spending too much of the year calving cows. There was quite a lot of pressure on somebody being at home to look after them and keep an eye on things. And the cost of keeping a suckler cow in any environment was always getting more. Yeah. And uh, we just we just felt that we were we were fighting nature too much with autumn calving cow. If we if we drew our lactation curve of our autumn calving cow versus our grass growth curve. Um, the two couldn't be any more out of sync. We were spending quite a lot of money trying to feed that cow through the winter so she could milk and produce a good calf, rear calf, and get back in calf again. Um, and we were using a lot, of, a lot of inputs to do that between feed and straw and, and a lot of space as well. So we had a, had a bit team talk and decided if we were going to do it, we would just do it in one fell swoop, which was... Uh, quite brave and the first year was quite tough yeah i think now we're sort of we're we're in a in a sink now and and uh hopefully we've we've got over all all those hurdles we faced to start with because we'd had um we'd had a bit of issues in the past with yonis um and that was mainly coming in from bottom heifers and before i'd come home dad had made the decision to try and keep everything ourselves but obviously when we had the herd of autumn calving cows it was quite easy to to calve some at two and a half if we wanted uh, so going forward there was a wee bit of fear could we make it work calving all our heifers at, at home without buying anything in at two years yeah. old yeah so in order to make that transition we basically had to bull every female we could that we felt was up to the job. We went through our autumn calving cows and we were quite ruthless. Um, we did have a few feet issues with the, the autumn calving cows, so we trimmed feet on the best of the cows 
but they all got a tag and anything we weren't happy with went down the road yeah. and we basically took every heifer we could that summer and build her. Can imagine um, that would feel uh, slightly nervous waiting for that first spring calving with every every heifer you had almost pulled wouldn't be a yeah wouldn't be a relaxing position that, that year anyway. Yeah, no, it was a wee bit uh, concerning, but it proved actually the following year was much worse. Um, I think we calved down about fifty heifers that year, which you know it was a, nearly a third of our herd, so it was it was quite a lot to be doing in a winter. Um, but since doing that, there you know there has been a lot of other benefits. The the feet problems in those autumn calvers, um, we weren't really paying much attention to what we thought was was behind it. But it must have been the the autumn calving cycle and how we were keeping those cows. Because out of those cows that were sorted out and tagged, none of them have been repeat offenders. I think that maybe the autumn calvers were in inside on kind of straw courts or something just for a lot longer than you would ideally like yeah i think so um and they were getting well fed too and soft ground yeah i think that was that was the reason so yeah we, we managed that the the first calving went pretty well and um, we had a few issues with prolapses we were a wee bit unfortunate in the in the fact that the first year we calved everything down in the spring also coincided with, I think, just about a, a nationwide forage shortage. We ran a wee bit short of silage. We got the chance to buy some hay, thought it was going to be the answer, and we started feeding it to a few cows and uh, heifers before they calved, and uh, we run into a big problem with prolapses, which was a bit of a steep learning curve. But we got by... Um, and that was probably part of the problem with our um, the following year. So going on, um, obviously those heifers were going out, maybe weren't just fed as well as they should have been due to lack of forage in a later spring. Over the course of the summer, I wouldn't have said we were desperately concerned, but we knew there was going to few, be a few that would drop out. It was kind of expected because we obviously weren't picking the best of our heifers to be we'd picked nearly everything we thought we could build and the following autumn we got a bit of a shock with our scanning um, a lot of those empties were um, or should I say a lot of those heifers that prolapsed were empty so which in, in a in a typical year I guess we probably wouldn't have given them a second chance but again we were under a bit of pressure to try and keep the herd numbers up to avoid having to buy anything in. I think our main fertility issue there was nutrition. Um, maybe we yeah, because those heifers would be working hard, you know, when they're just kind of working hard to milk as much as they can and then also get them back in calf is quite a nutritionally challenging position. Usually that works out with the kind of peak of grass growth or the spring grass, but if that when was that, 2018, when it was... Um, quite dry so maybe that worked against you in that regard too the lack of lack of grass yeah i i think we were a wee bit unlucky in the chain of events that unfolded some of them were created by us and and some of them were sort of environmental and out out with our our hands if you like um yeah yeah, it's now makes us quite nervous at scanning time however it has improved quite a lot so that was one of the main reasons i was so keen to get involved in this project we were very lucky to be working with 
Thrums. They've a great team of vets. They're really forward thinking. We probably spend as much time talking about planning and preventing problems as we do trying to sort them out. And when Graham asked Lorna to speak at uh, the benchmark um, benchmarking group meeting and, and told us about the project, you know, fertility is always always the issue that's at the sort of forefront of the herd. And I thought, well, what a great opportunity to get involved and see maybe maybe there was an issue they were we were unaware of. Um, I think uh, now knowing what we know and, and seeing where we're at, it probably it might have been a, a contributing factor back then, but it probably was down to more basic nutrition than um, just want to come back to when you said you started calving at two years. How how did you go about selecting those heifers for for bulling at that kind of early stage? Were were you weighing them or judging frame size? What were your kind of decisions there when you first looked at? Um, so we're quite short of space, um, shed wise. Uh, so we will have to pick our heifers quite early on. Uh, so they're. We're trying to weigh our calves as regular as they can during the winter. I'm quite keen to get them weighed at the moment, but unfortunately our yard is covered in snow and ice and I don't really want to take cattle out. So we can go quite quite long through the winter without uh, outweighing them, but obviously we're keeping an eye on them the best we can. Generally speaking, we're looking for our heifers to be going out of the shed in April, about 400 kilos. But obviously when they go turfed out, they do take a wee step back or sort of halt if you like uh, and quite often we're having to turf them out the hill just to get enough space we're, we're trying to keep fields clean for lambing you know our shed space for calving and um, it's quite easy for them to sort of, of get second best we were concerned that we were going to end up stunting our growth and end up with a pretty poor herd of cows if we were, weren't careful um, calving down it too but I think now we're we're quite relaxed about it. A lot of those heifers are still going on and growing into cows that are probably too still too big for our environment. Um, I think what's probably a bigger deal is the nutrition and the, the care of those heifers after that yeah. first calf's born. Yeah. Um, I think maybe people focus on the nutrition kind of up to calving and making sure they get en- enough. And what I sometimes see too is... Uh, Sometimes people give their heifers too much as well, and the kind of the dangers the heifers too fat. But then once they calve, kind of like like you're saying, maybe the people don't worry quite so much. And they go calves on the ground, uh, that'll be fine. Um, when that's when they're needing almost as much attention. But yeah, yeah, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's probably been one of the main things we learned from that that original bad year was that you know a cow's a lot more resilient than a first calved heifer that's just over two years old and we need to look after them they're the, yeah. they're the future of the herd so yeah, yeah. Um, and the the bulls do you use the same bulls as the rest? sorry what kind of breed your cows i didn't ask that either yeah sorry i don't think i actually even mentioned that at the start uh, so our cows our cow herd was predominantly lumbers and crosses we still have a lot of lumbers and cross cows on the farm um, but just at the same kind of time, we made the decision to go spring calving. We started to introduce the Angus. Dad had done a wee bit of work uh, with AI um, just to try and bring a bit more hybrid vigour and um, sort of easier kept cows into the herd, and we decided to go down that route a bit more. Um, we're now out of the team of seven bulls, five of them are Angus, and I think that has helped a lot. 
Um, it's taken a lot of the fear out of carving heifers, especially carving them at two. Some of them aren't that big when they calve down at that age. And knowing that that calf's, well, not knowing, but being confident that calf's going to be a reasonable size and get up on its feet and do things for itself um, is a big plus. You'll know yourself, the last thing you want to be doing is interfering too much um, with any cow or heifer after she's calved. But especially at that age, you know, they're, they're still pretty young and almost immature. And the more you go upset them, you can create a lot of problems that don't need to be created. Um, so, yeah, a move to the Angus has, has been a, a big help from that point of view. Um, and of course, Angus are actually earlier maturing your native breeds too, so it probably helps for getting them in calf in the first place if they're, you know, Angus cross. Are, are the cows Angus cross some of them now? Or are they still... Yeah, well, the ma- majority of heifers we're keeping are, are now 50% Angus. Yeah. Um, we'll be yeah. keeping some this year that will be more like three quarters. Uh, and I think that's maybe been a contributing factor in uh, improvement in the herd fertility. Not only the early maturing traits of the Angus, um, but also shorter gestation. So the cows are getting that wee bit longer to recover before they're needing to get back in calf. Um, which I think is quite a, a big contributing factor in, in this kind of environment because there's a very small window between um, grass starting to grow here and the bulls going out um, especially in a late year um, we're still seeing snow in April and May and we're putting the bulls out in June you know it's it's not long for that cow to recover um, and there's nothing that will make us recover and put condition on like green grass so. yeah so your, your heifers calving down to years old are you feeding them separately are they getting preferential feeding or different treatment compared to the rest of the cows um, so those heifers, when we select them in the spring, they're turfed out as a group and until we get to a stage of sorting out our, our bulling groups. And at that point, they'll join a, a group of cows somewhere, depending on their sires, um, and they will be bulled with cows. They'll spend... They'll spend I suppose we're not very good at sticking to the six-week rule, but laterally we've tried to be as kind of close to it as we can. I think this year it was more like seven and a half weeks that they spent with the bull, and those heifers are shed out. We'll leave the bulls in with the cows a good bit longer, and we put those heifers out the hill, and get turfed out the hill for the rest of the summer, um, which I think does them a lot of good. They get a chance to just go on, they're not pushed, they just grow on, do their own thing. And then we bring those heifers in. In the last few years, we've fed them a forage crop. So they were on stubble turnips there. The hunting went on at the beginning of November. Um, unfortunately, the deer took a bit of a fancy our stubble turnips this year, so the crop wasn't quite so good as usual. So they grazed that right down till about Christmas, and then we started to move them over just on a straight silage. So they're still outside just now. They're on ad-lib silage. We've given them uh, a kilo, uh, a 16% beef nut this last sort of two or three weeks ago. We started them on that just to be on the safe side. We've got a bit of snow on the ground now. We know our silage analysis maybe isn't just quite as good as we'd like for them. Um, I think that does those heifers a lot of good. It's an opportunity for them to get good exercise every day. They're not coming in over-conditioned 
and they won't come inside until we've sold uh, our calves and we've got a bit of space for them. So they're going to be outside for another good month yet. And it always amuses me. We bring these little heifers in and uh, you think, God, how on earth are they going to calve down in a month or six weeks' time? And in that time period, it's amazing the difference in them. They, they go from uh, teenagers to to women in a in a, a very short space of time in comparison to what they've done in the sort of year leading up to that and uh, trot off out the shed like proud mothers so um, and then once once they are out of the shed we try and get them out as soon as we can once they've calved and they usually get priority if we can free up a field of grass um, depending on what we need for lambing time we'll go to better grass and we feed a couple of kilos of uh, a suckler cow roll. It, nutritionally, they might not always need it, but it's a pretty good thing to do, I think. It's a good opportunity to get them in every day and keep an eye on them. Uh, yeah, definitely. You can keep an eye on any issues cropping up, or if you're not seeing one coming in, you know there's something going on. So Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and again, okay. they'll they'll stay as a, as a separate group until it's time to sort out our bullying groups. Okay, so um, so as part of the KTIF project, you did a bit of metabolic profiling um, on the farm. Graham, do you want to talk us through what exactly metabolic profiling is, and um, you know what the benefits of it are, and, and how it was used in this project? Yeah, sure. Um, so I suppose metabolic profiling is something a tool we've used in the the dairy herd for a while, and. and in the last few years also in, in sheep flocks and it essentially it just allows us to see how well um, fed the animals actually are. We all think we're doing a good job in feeding them um, and we have, may have formulated a ration um, but the, the metabolic profile tells us how the animal is getting on itself with relation to um, energy intake both short and longer term and protein intake um, short and longer term and it gives you the opportunity to correct any issues that it, it highlights if you like. Uh, in this case we also looked at um, trace element profiles which um, didn't reveal ter- terribly much so that was by and large being done pretty well um, and also um, certain mineral levels such as magnesium and, and things like that so it, it gives you a good handle and how the cow is coping with the ration that she's being fed in the run-up to the, the fairly crucial calving time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because you can analyse your feed and you can analyse your soil, but I suppose with the medical bullock profile, you're really testing what the, what, what's getting into the cow. Andrew, you, did you find the met- metabolic profiling useful, helpful? Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said earlier, like we were we were quite keen to look look at sort of any potential problem that might be in the herd in terms of fertility. So it was it was good to start looking into nutrition on that sort of that extra level of scrutiny that folk wouldn't usually do. If I'm honest, actually the biggest benefit we probably got out of it last year was when Lorna came to visit and looked at the cows and pretty much told us they were all looking too fat and we should maybe be have it having a closer look at what we were feeding them. Um, and I think it's very easy when you see the same cows every day and you, you walk up the feed passage and everyone looks fine. And It sometimes takes somebody different to come onto the farm that's looking at everybody's cattle uh, and, and pick things up. So that was a real a real sort of eye-opener that, you know, we, 
we maybe do need to pay a bit more attention just looking day to day. As far as our own um, blood results were concerned, there was nothing really that was flagging up as a concern, I don't think. Um, but I mean, that was that was a, a big boost to know that what we were feeding in terms of um, mineral and trace elements wasn't that far away. Um, I would have liked to have known what those results would have been had we been sampling on the year we had all the problems. Um, I don't know if that would have flagged anything up or not. Okay, and Graham, from the from the vet side, is uh, blood testing and metabolic profiling something you've done much of or do much of at Thrum Spectrum practice, or is it uh, something you know a bit newer you encountered being involved in the project? We don't really do a lot of separate blood sampling. We, I mean, we haven't really done metabolic profiling in the suckler cow. Um, we, we our, our experience with metabolic profiling has been pretty much in the dairies and in sheep. Um, and otherwise, if we've been doing it, it's been problem-led rather than uh, preventative, which uh, or investigative, maybe, which is what this has been more about. And, and it, 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 I think the the key message for me is it showed up lots of issues and lots of things that we could do something about in places where we didn't expect to find them. And when you're metabolic profiling, would you also be looking at the cows to gauge condition and condition score them and Try and make sure they're in the right, um, you know, the right level for uh, for calving as well, Graham. Yeah, so it's one of these things that you need to keep a fairly regular eye on it because it's much easier to uh, tweak it a little bit early on to save a problem than to uh, manage a, a massive under um, score, if you like, or an over score as, as calving approaches because it's much harder to correct the things the closer you are to calving. So I think condition scoring is probably better done ahead of when you would maybe traditionally do your metabolic profiling. Uh, but the two things do go hand in hand and you, you know both bits of information are quite important when it comes to deciding what you're going to do. Yeah. And I suppose if you did do metabolic profiling, it's kind of informing your management maybe for future years as well uh, in, that, in that regard too. Well, one of the interesting things I think kind of alluded to before we started was that it, it turned up quite a few surprising results in places where the ration was perfectly balanced and it was going fine but the your what you said earlier about measuring how well the cows are doing and how we're feeding them takes into account not just the ration but things like trough space and um social grouping of cows um, so that there's no bullying and things like that and it, and a few farms that highlighted issues where these issues needed to be addressed um and a few cows, uh, often younger cows, uh, weren't getting their fair share of the ration and as such were showing deficiencies that um, could be corrected through uh, altering the building design or trough space or how, how the house, how the animals were grouped for housing and things like that. Yeah, no, that was something we kind of, when when I do rations for people sometimes, um, it's always drummed into us in the kind of training we get to also ask about what the feeding setup is, because we can make a perfect ration, but if it's if there's not enough space or not enough water or, or some other limiting factor, it cannot get them. And on the heifers too, I think I read a bit of research saying that on average heifers, just they just take longer to eat. So even if your heifer gets into the feed barrier and is eating for the same length of time, she's still getting maybe 20% less than um than the mature cows next to her, you know. So it's uh, uh these kind of um almost infrastructure things can be key as well. 
So, of course, there was a number of farms involved in the study. Did that um, Was there issues highlighted in some of those other farms uh, in the project? Absolutely, yeah. There was two or three issues came to light as a result of the metabolic profiling. We identified uh, fluke infestation that hadn't previously uh, been recognised. And in one of the farms, uh, it highlighted uh, a degree of flucicide resistance because the animals all had been treated for fluke. Yeah. Um, but the metabolic profiling identified a long-term protein deficiency that turned out to be attributed to the fluke infestation. Um, so that would have been a, a significant problem had it not been corrected. Uh, a number of the farms had low levels of magnesium um, in the pre-calving samples. And by correcting that, we probably, if we didn't stop animals suffering from clinical staggers, we've probably certainly helped the ease of calving for a number of these cows by helping to manage slow calving syndrome or prevent slow calving syndrome and that sort of issue. So I would say that the the hidden benefits or unexpected benefits were, to me, what was the most useful outcome of this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Particularly low magnesium could uh, could lead to a bit of difficulty with calving. So yeah. No. That's that's very interesting and very valuable for those farms as well. So it's good. Um. Looking ahead to this year's this year's calving, which will be starting shortly or in a in a month or so, I'd imagine. Um. How did your scanning go, and how is it looking this year with your heifers and cows again? Yeah. So I'm delighted with our scanning this year, Malcolm. Our uh, scanning over the past few years has improved a little bit each year um, although this year I think we did make quite a good step forward hopefully it's here to stay but we'll not take our eyes off the ball so back in 2018 um, we discussed the, the year we transitioned all of spring calving we, ca- we scanned 176 cows with 28 not in calf and one set of twins the following year we had 175 scanned with 13 not in calf and two sets of twins. And this year we scanned 181 with five not in calf and four sets of twins. Out of those five not in calf, only one was a cow. And there was a reason behind her. She had a dead backwards calf. I think a lot of that's probably down a very good growth of year. Um, nothing was hungry by any means. Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty exceptional for grass growth this year. So it's, I think, it's helped a lot of people in that regard too. But yeah, yeah, yeah no, I said to my wife when I came home after scanning because I think both uh, my wife and my mum are pretty nervous today. Me and dad go out to scan because they never know whether they're going to come home uh, smiling or crying. But I came, I came home and I said, uh, "Well, that was a once in a lifetime experience." And she said, "Well, was that good or bad?" I said, good. I said, I don't think I'll ever see a, a scanning as good as that again. Um, so, no, really pleased. Really pleased. Um, uh, ho- hopefully it is a bit of a result of some of the changes we've made and not just down to um, a good year. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm sure it is. But I, I, if only one of them being a mature cow who's not in calf and with a, a very clear reason, that's very encouraging, to be honest. That's, that's good. And considering your heifers are only bulled for a six or seven and a half weeks, you said, aye, it's, it's pretty good going. Pretty aye. Good going. Uh, I mean, there was, there was four of them not in calf, but I can expect quite a few heifers not to be in, in calf anyway. It's not, you know, they're all, the barren rate is always higher, well, generally than, than the cows. Um, yeah. But I'd like to think... And with those heifers, 
do you just sell them on or, or do you yeah, give well, them a second chance? That same sort of good thing about having our own um, marketing business with the meat now, uh, those heifers, not always, but we'll, we'll usually take them on and just finish them for all that's there. Um, but they fit in quite nicely to that. Obviously, they've not been pushed as hard as their um, peers that age. So we're trying to supply the shop with beef uh, 12 months of the year, but we're only calving two months of the year. So uh, those heifers, they have got a job to do, although I would like to see them in calf. It's not a disaster. Uh, but no, we would certainly, we'd, ne- we'd never give them a second chance. Uh, I often hear folk um, quiz me on that and say, but what if she's a good heifer? Well, sorry, she's not a good heifer. She's not in calf. The ones that are in calf, they're the good heifers. So, um, And for her to wait another full year to get the same result, that's too big a risk to take. Mm. And and that's something that you do kind of, it would be easy to miss with having the autumn calving cows because it's quite easy to just let them slip another six months. But it's dangerous too. It's very easy to have a proportion of your cow herd always taking a little break. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's something I notice. Notice people who are, who are uh, spring and autumn calving, they often uh, let one let them slip from one to another. And uh, you know, most people try and keep a track of these things, but in the worst cases, you can see cows slip from one to the other, and it you know, it adds up to uh, a lot of lost lost calves or or, or barren cows at times. Um, Graham, through the through the vets, what kind of um, what how are cows looking this winter? What what have you seen any problems or issues cropping up just on a, on the whole? It's early days yet, but I think cows are in quite good condition. Most mm. people seem to be sitting in reasonably good quality silage, um, and after a reasonable grass year, certainly certainly the second half of the year, I think most cows have come into the house in better condition than than average. Um, I think yeah. scanning results generally have been quite good out and about. Um, but it's early days yet. We've not really got into the calving. One or two people calving heifers just now, but there's not many people calving. The main bulk of the spring calving herd will be another six weeks away at least. Aye, aye. So still kind of still yet to be seen quite a lot. Yet um, to be seen, yeah. And on the back to the the metabolic profiling, have you have you uh, been involved in any of that this year? Have you seen any results coming in from that side of things? Uh, again, it's probably slightly early um, there's a number of the herds that were involved in this trial are planning to do it again and we'll be uh, putting things out in the newsletter next month to try and encourage a few more I think there will be a few new entrants to it mm-hmm. um, I'd be reasonably hopeful that we wouldn't have as many problems this year and the, the herds that are took last year um, but we'll, we'll wait and see yeah Okay, thanks, Graham. And uh, just before we move on to kind of final closing points, Andrew, John, tell us a wee bit about what your future plans for the for the farm is, just the farm as a whole, and also the suckler herd in particular. Um, I think our numbers are probably where where they should be. If anything, we're maybe slightly overstocked with cows, as it is. Um, mentioned earlier that we've we've put some deer on the farm, so we've a section of ground now that's kind of dedicated to them. Although we do sneak some sheep in it at times. Um, so we have reduced our, our summer grazing a little bit. So we don't want those cow numbers to, to get too out of hand. We've 
been always on the cautious side with our numbers at Bullen just because we've had some bad scanning. So if anything, our cow herd will maybe decrease a little bit going forward. We've been pretty ruthless culling cows out and we've got quite a young herd. Um, so we probably would get away with bullying uh, less heifers. Um, yeah, so as, as far as the cow herd's concerned, we'll probably just keep cruising along in the direction we're heading. We are starting to focus more on um, the efficiency of the cows and, and trying to breed a herd of cows that's a lot more small and compact. And try and breed a cow that's suitable for environment. I think it's it's very easy to alter your environment for the cow you've got, and that can become quite expensive, especially in this part of the world where um, all your inputs have got to come in the lorry. We've no arable ground here at all. Um, so we need to really concentrate on on producing a cow that can thrive in this environment and uh, produces a calf that's, that's going to allow us to keep producing beef in the future. Um, as far as the rest of the farm's concerned, um, we've made a lot of big changes with adding the deer and going down the route of a direct market. And so, so for now, I think we'll try and just, just keep ticking along as we are. Our... Um, our meat side of the business, uh, well, it's actually a separate business. It's only been on the go for the last year. And nearly that whole year has been spent through COVID, which has um, been quite interesting. It created a massive influx in demand at the start, um, but now we've lost uh, hotel trade. So um, what's in front of us uh, next year? Well, who knows? But we certainly want to try and increase that that side of things um, I think the general public are taking a lot more interest now in, in their food and where it comes from so we want to sort of keep that up and um, that's been one one other real bonus of the Angus um, is it's such a well known brand and people ask what breed of cattle you've got and, and what kind of beef they're going to be eating and it, it, they're usually pretty satisfied to hear it's, it's Angus Um. So, yeah, no, hopefully expand that, that a bit and uh, just keep doing what we're doing and um, listen to our vets and, and uh, yeah, Hope, hopefully um, post-Brexit post and post-Covid, um, the future will still be quite bright for livestock in Auckland's. Yeah, yeah, hopefully it's all a big unknown right now, of course. But I think with your with your deed and with the farm shop too, you're spreading the risk a bit too, so that's definitely a, a sensible kinda sensible kinda course of course of action like. But um okay, just uh just to kinda round up, um if we get kinda three key messages on uh, kinda herd for fertility from both of you. Um Andrew, do you wanna go first there? So um three kind of key messages um I would have in in terms of uh, suckler cow fertility going on our own experiences um, the, the number one thing I, I would say now um, is cull we, we're in a fortunate position that we are keeping our own replacements so it's an easy decision, do you give a problem cow a chance or do you give a heifer a chance and in my eyes that heifer always gets the priority um, I've got a reason that I'm doubting the future of that cow in the herd but that heifer's not yet given me a reason to, to doubt her potential so any problems now whether it be temperament feet fertility calving issues we're pretty ruthless we don't like to carry passengers um i think another big bonus has been the bulls we're using 
We stopped buying bulls out of the ring, I think over 10 years ago now. We're now buying our bulls privately on farm. Um, most of them have come from the same man. We're buying them much younger. Um, some of them have come home just over a year old. But we're not pushing them. We're letting them settle into their environment and grow on nice and slow. And in turn, that's given us some pretty tough, resilient bulls. They're not giving us too much bother uh, in terms of an, a locomotion. They're they're not as erratic in their condition score. If if anything, uh, we've got to watch they don't get over-conditioned, especially when they've they've got so much time off and not having autumn cows to serve during the winter. Um, and ultimately, those cows um, that we're putting putting in calf to these bulls, they're getting an easy time in the calf. The calves are coming out no bother. We're not interfering. They're getting up on their feet. They're shooking themselves. And I think taking that stress away from the cow at calving is having a, a big boost in terms of fertility. Um, they're just getting on with life like nothing's happened and they're not standing in a pen with stitches up the side or uh, on a course of antibiotics because they've had a bad calving. And I think that gives them a great start. Um, my third my third thing um, I think we'd have to say is feed. We're very grateful for the work um, the college do in terms of analysing our, our silage and uh, coming up with some rations. And we do our best to kind of to follow them. Um, I think in this day and age, we've got so much data available uh, and so much knowledge within the industry between vets and the college and, and other advisors on what we should and shouldn't be doing um, we need to we need to follow it and make best use of it, um, and it, it pays dividends. You've you've got an opportunity to start to know what feed you've got on farm before you go into the winter, and you can make a plan. Do we need to buy in another protein? Is our silage going to be adequate? And and it always changes, um, but certainly paying attention to that, I think I think is worth a lot. Um, Okay, thank you for that, Andrew. Uh, Graham, have you got three key points on fertility to finish off with? Hi. Yeah. Yes. I think I think nutrition we have to get right. Um, disease and parasites often are absent these days and probably are less important to the national herd, but they can be really important to an individual herd. So they've got to be kept in check. And I think as a, a national herd, if you like, we've got an awful lot to gain by managing our, our bull stud a bit better. Um, some of the things that Andrew's doing sort of exemplify good practice. Um, testing bulls is relatively simple and easy to do now, and it's only part of it. Um, I think we have to manage our bull stud a bit better. Uh, an awful lot of the problems that we see as a practice uh, when we're scanning cows um, a lot of the empty cows can be attributed to, to bull problems uh, one way or another. So those would be my three things. So nutrition, disease, parasites and bull factors. Okay, well, thank you for that, Graham, And uh, thank you, Graham and Andrew, for um, well, Andrew telling us about your farming system and telling us about how you benefit from this project. Um, I'd also like to, of course, thank the Scottish Government for funding this work. This is a Knowledge Transfer and Innovation Fund project. And if you'd like more information, there is a webinar available on the SAC Consulting website. And you can also contact Lorna McPherson or Karen Stewart directly. You'll find their contact details on the website as well.